Welcome to Soundbreaker. I'm your host, Bob Shammy, and we are about to break the silence. Join me as we go behind the scenes and meet some of the most influential names in the music industry. Get ready for remarkable success stories that break the norms and defy the odds. From dreams to success, from challenges to victory, an exclusive backstage pass into the lives of music trailblazers as they create their own path to success. This is Soundbreaker. Welcome to Soundbreaker. On today's episode, we're talking to Jessica Powell, who is a groundbreaker in the music slash tech industries. Thank you for joining us. And for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, uh, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what do you do? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm Jessica Powell. I am the CEO and co-founder of AudioShake. We are a deep tech company that uh, separates audio. We separate sound in order to make it more accessible and interactive and customizable. Uh, and so we work across a really broad range of entertainment content, ranging from recorded music through to film, um, transcription, localization, all kinds of things where you basically need to split audio for various tasks, remixing, sync licensing, karaoke, cleaning up audio before it goes through um, speech recognition technology, or if you want to uh, do any kind of localization and have the M&E track. Anyway, I could go on and on, but mm -hmm. basically a whole bunch of behind the scene things in some cases, and in other cases, really front and center for the consumer in terms of them and how they interact with audio. Interesting. That's all run by AI. Yeah, it's, um, it's yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, again, great to have you here. Um, I usually ask our guests uh, how they got started uh, in the music industry, but you're a tech mogul turned music expert. <laughs> mogul. <laughs> Can you please tell us how did you how did it all start? Uh, with zero intention, um, I finished uh, college, and my two priorities were just basically to have a job that would allow me to travel and live in different places. And I didn't actually necessarily care what that job would be. Um, I was just really interested in seeing the world. Um, so I um, I ended up. Uh, doing a whole bunch of random things. I was like a translator in Portugal and I was, a, I worked in a creche in Switzerland and Multilingual, I- Multilingual, I would say. Well, I had to in those places. Yeah, I picked up uh -huh. the languages while I was there. But I ended up working at uh, CZAC in Paris, which is um, the uh, performing, I guess it's the parent organization to what in the US would be ASCAP, BMI. Um, all the different PROs and so forth. Um, but they represent uh, artist rights organizations globally. Uh, I ended up working there and then eventually ended up at Google. And then the vast majority of my career was and has been at Google. Um, I was there for uh, over 10 years um, oh, and did a whole bunch of different kinds of jobs there and then left around, I think it was 2018 or so, thinking I was never going to touch tech again. Um, and instead, of course, because I'm a cliche and I live in the Valley, I instead ended up creating a startup, which was audio shape. Uh, I mean, your resume is pretty impressive. I have to say, um, from Badu to Google, as you mentioned, now your own AI venture, uh, audio, uh, excuse me, audio shake, uh, what pushed you 
uh, you know, to pivot from corporate and starting your own company, you know, in the tech slash audio space? Yeah, there, again, there was no conscious thought of like, this is the thing I want to do next. I really sort of fell into it. Um, when I left my job, um, by the time I left Google, which was a great experience on the whole, um, I was managing a very, very large team. I was going to ask across. you, what did you do at Google? So The last thing I did there, I, so I did a bunch of different things, but the very last job I had there um, and kind of my final years at Google were all focused around running communications and public affairs. Um, and so I ended up on the management team running that organization globally. Uh, and by the time I left, the company was very large. It was probably around 150,000 people. Um, and, uh, I was, I think kind of burnout and from like really busy. I spent almost all my time in meetings. So when I left, it was with this idea that I was, you know, going to go sit in some sort of deprivation chamber and not look at technology ever again and never take another meeting and never hear anyone say B2B or B2C or anything involving technology. Uh Um, and what happened though was, and, and one of the things I think that was, that I felt very deeply was that I had become, that my kind of job had taken over my life and that I had become a little bit, it, it felt very dehumanizing. Like I'd stopped reading, which was something I loved. I'd stopped writing, which was something I loved. Um, stopped like list, like listening really or playing music. Again, all these sort of creative things that I, that just got pushed to the wayside because of the day-to-day demands of the job. And so what happened was um, as I was, quitting or in those initial months, um, I turned back to those things, right? I started reading again. I started writing. I started playing music. Um, And it was in that process that with my co-founder, we started playing around with different ideas of things that interested us about music. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it was never with the idea of starting a company. Uh, We had both lived in Japan and had um, done a lot of karaoke. And so one of the, one of the ideas we'd had at different points in time, we were like, what if you could actually make karaoke way better than it is today? Like sing any song from the world make any song, a karaoke song. Mm-hmm. Um, or what if you could sample anything, any song out there? Right. You know, those were the kinds of questions that were floating in our head and that eventually led us to this idea of, well, actually, what if we could use deep learning as a way to split a song mm. into its parts? And so it started off very much as a hobbyist thing. And we started showing it to friends that thought it was very funny, um, like friends in the music industry that were kind of like, haha, your cute little karaoke maker uh, is actually this sort of revolutionary thing. Um, but yeah, for us, it, it just started off as something very playful and that we were, I guess, just intellectually, like really interested in. Interesting. Huh. Um, your platform, you had incredible names. Uh, using it, such as Nina Simone, SZA, uh, have used the technology and developed. Can you tell us a bit more about your cases, or these cases, I would say? Sure. I mean, it again, we work across such a broad range of content and use yes. cases. Um, if we were just specifically talking about the music industry, I'd say the top ways the technology is used um, is... Uh, Major labels, indie labels will use it. Um, they use it a lot for sync licensing. In fact, I think Warner in their earnings, um, one of their earnings reports from earlier this year called out their use of the technology um, uh, mm. for like a sync for Sammy Davis Jr., for example. Uh, so we, we do a lot in sync licensing because there's so many tracks 
um, typically catalog, but sometimes it can even be contemporary, um, where uh, they don't have instrumental. And so they will use our technology to get the instrumental for the track. Uh, we also do a lot of work um, in Dolby Atmos and Sony 360. So the Nina Simone example you cited was them using Audio Shake on her first album um, in order to create the stems for that so that the stems could be placed, mm -hmm. the sounds can be placed in different perceptual fields, right? To mm -hmm. create a surround sound type effect. So we do a lot of work in um, immersive, immersive sound. Um, and then you see other things like remastering, uh, rem the SZA example, that was um, uh, the producer Rodney Jerkins uh, took an old, um, an ODB session from like 98, I think it was a VHS type, and um, used Audio Shake to, to rip that and then put it onto the SZA track um, from her, one of the SZA tracks from her current album. It's a great song. Uh, so we see things like that. And then like, re like jazz, for example, um, it's really opened up a lot of opportunities for um, live recorded jazz because you can do things like remove bleed. You can now, you know, master these tracks that otherwise you might, you were essentially getting a mono track recording. So you could, anybody could remix any, it doesn't matter how old this track is. They could well, do we, a we remix. We work across, uh, sure, theoretically. Yeah, because I mean, once we, you extract the acapellas, you have the acapellas because a lot of these old songs, they don't have, if acapellas were around, they don't know where they are. Right. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, how does it feel to have such a huge impact working with such artists and such labels and all of that using your technology? It's, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I was at Google, yeah. which I think, I think one can say somewhat uncontroversially is probably one of the bigger technological breakthroughs of, you know, the past, yeah. say, 25 years. Uh, just the idea of web search, for example, um, I think has changed us quite a bit. Um, and yet, at no point, because I wasn't there early Google, um, it always felt very abstract to me, a lot of the work that that we were doing, even when I thought it was very cool and everything. It's like, I didn't really talk to our customers because there were specific people that talked to our customers, right? Or our yes, users. At Google, um, yes. So there's just something I think very exciting and kind of intimate about having, which probably is true no matter what industry you're in or what you're building. Yeah. But when you've built something with a small team, you know everyone on that team, you know who your customers are, you get to talk to them directly about how the technology works or how it sometimes doesn't work, right? It's just you, you, you're so incredibly invested in the experience from end to end that mm -hmm. it also feels so much more tangible, I think, when... Um, when you see how people are using it and they tell you how, how they're using it. Absolutely. Um, now come to the big fish. Uh, time named Audio Shake is one of the best inventions, 2023. And alongside big giants uh, in the AI space, such as ChatGBT, a parent company of OpenAI, deservingly so, you can, can you please tell us um, about this experience and did did you get a heads up before this whole thing happened? We just woke up and it's like, whoa, wait a second, what just happened? Yeah, I I don't entirely know how it happened because yeah. I I I know with a lot of these things there's sometimes application processes or you can pay to submit or things like that. We didn't do any of that. I don't know how they found out about us. Um they contacted us I guess about a week or two before 
to, um, they wanted to ask us a few questions. We were like on the short list. It wasn't guaranteed that you'd be on the final. Um, and uh, so that, yeah, we did a very, very quick phone call conversation with them to fact check a, th- a few things. Yeah. And then, um, and then they were, and then didn't hear from them again until maybe two days, three days before to where they were saying, right, you're on the list. And that was it. I mean, it was, wow. it was the, the, the best, the best contest, contest experience of my life. Right. Like, I mean, it wasn't it a big list. I've seen being... it. And I'm like, well, no, it was, I'm it was, it was, uh, yeah, I think it was, um, there were like 13 or so, I think on the yes. AI section. Yeah. And it, yeah, you're right. Well, it was very wild to see yourself <laughs> next to, um, these household names like OpenAI. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I mean, I know I Thanks. did congratulate you before, but again, we'll do it on the show. Congratulations. Definitely. You know, Thanks. done something amazing. Um, generative AI, I'm sure you've seen it. You're always on social media and you're always active. I've seen you a lot on LinkedIn posting and being act- and interactive with everybody. Uh, gets a bad rep. We both know that. I'm against it, but again, it gets a bad rep lately, or it has been since it entered AI, uh, since it entered the, I would say, the music arena. Um, your, but your project is different. It aims to help creators to take their project to the next level. Uh, can you share more about uh, the artistic-centric uh, approach of AI, or to AI, please? Sure. I mean, I guess the important you know, I think one thing that is useful when we talk about AI mm-hmm. is specificity and actually talking about what what kind of AI or what is the technological approach, while not necessarily boring everyone with all of the, every single part of like the factory and how things are made. Um, AI, the field is vast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes we talk about, AI, I, I, people will talk about AI as if, you know, as if like Google Maps and Salesforce were the same thing just because they're software. They're not. Mm-hmm. AI is right, like it is AI is just like really sophisticated statistics at the end of the day. And um and so what we do, for example, is actually not generative. Um uh the so a lot of the debate around generative AI, I think I think there's a a, a couple of different elements to it. One is around how this content was trained, right? The idea that, for example, that a system could be trained on all the world's images and have a mm-hmm. concept of what Monet is and what Monet's style was, and then reproduce works in the style of Monet, I think does raise a lot of really interesting legal, philosophical like questions, right? That range from yes, like, is that right to do that? Is, does, what is, is there a compensation mechanism there for the training data? All those kinds of things. There's also the, I think, so there's kind of that, that training data part of it. There's also a component which is um, related to, and this part, I actually, I, I think it, it, it probably depends quite a bit depending on the task we're talking about. But I think mm-hmm. there's also a lot of conversation around, do these generative outputs potentially displace someone else's work, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, so is being able to generate any image um, mean that someone stops using a, uh, an illustrator or a designer they, that they might have otherwise paid for? Again, these are all like very fair questions to ask. Um, I think, and, and I have, you know, if we were to talk about music, I'm not so convinced that having generative music outputs um, all of a sudden gets rid of Taylor Swift. Like I'm really not convinced of that at all. Uh, mm-hmm. But 
But to go to the heart of your question, uh, we don't, we're, we're, when we're separating audio, we're not doing anything generative. Um, Absolutely. So how we approach things was um, we train on thousands and thousands of stems that we've licensed or acquired. Um, that then teaches our system to identify the different qualities of those in, of instruments, right, in songs. So it could be, um, you know, we can understand what the vocal is, what the guitar is. It allows us to take a song that we've never seen before and separate it. Yeah. Um, the what we felt was really important was that this technology first be brought to the industry. I think I saw from all the time during my Google years mm-hmm. that kind of across the board, a, a general approach in the Valley is to build these things and then sort of impose them on the industry. And then, and then afterwards complain that the industry is so conservative. And it's kind of like, look, you went and took people's content. Yeah. And then after the lawsuit, after the license, now you're complaining that, oh, the relationship isn't as smooth as it could be. So I, I think that that I understand how all this happens because it's an, I'm very sympathetic to a startup that wants, like particularly a startup in the consumer space that wants to start mm-hmm. and get going. It's it's incredibly difficult to license. Incredibly difficult. Um, oh, sure. People, because people won't talk to you, right? Like it's there's there's very little ROI for labels and rights holders to engage with startups who are statistically likely to fail in the next two years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that the results of that means because it's hard to license, a lot of stuff happens unlicensed. Yeah. Our, but having said all that, our, our feeling was we wanted to put these tools in the hands of, of the artists, the managers, the labels, the publishers. They were working with this content every day. Mm-hmm. And that way, A, they would be able to they they would have a good sense of how to best use it for themselves. But B, in the case of artists where they didn't want to see their work split apart, yeah. right? Um, that they would have some say in the matter. And we we thought that was important. Interesting. So anybody could use your platform. It could be a producer, a remixer, or you have to have mm-hmm. you have to provide a license to separate the stems. So anybody could say, hey, you know, they'll pay the fee and you know. No, we uh, we actually operate a little bit differently. We have a closed platform that's for mm-hmm. industry professionals, mm-hmm. um, and that we that you you can't just access that. We do have an open platform called Audio Shake Indie mm-hmm. um, that indie artists and indie mm-hmm. labels can use to separate their music. It was a way that we could make our technology available to to them. Um, mm-hmm. So we do have that, but it, it blocks uh, major label content, for example. I see. So I'm a DJ. I say, hey, I want to create a remix of so-and-so, an old jazz artist. I don't have the license for it, but I want to create a remix and play it in my venues. And somebody said, hey, yeah, there's, uh, you know, uh, Audio Shake. You can go there and you can really, uh, you know, get, get the, audio, the vocals out and all of that. And you can make the remix. Can I do it? Or do I have to provide a license? Like, hey, no. You know. The DJs, the DJ, the the it is it is a sad, sad thing for me that that we disappoint DJs every day. Um, <laughs> so the, if they were coming and they were uploading like you know their track, their that that it's not theirs, they're going to get blocked. Okay, but they'll probably there's there's um like hundreds, probably not hundreds, uh, but close to it, uh, stem separation offerings out there that may not sound as good. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, DJs have a way. 
DJs are very clever people. I mean, it, yes. it, anything that came out of what, something that was once rather renegade, um, yes. they have all kinds of tricks. So yes. if they have something they, they want, they, they, they'll, oh, they'll get, figure it, they'll out. Get yes. it. And but they I can also, it. they can, yeah. And they can also go to, again, these, these some of these lower end offerings, get the stems and do, yes. you know, maybe some audio cleanup to, to cover that stuff up. So, but it, but it does pain me a bit because, um, there's nothing better than a really great remix. And so I hope that we can Absolutely. over time find ways, um, to help serve that community too, because what they're doing is also art, but Great. we just wanted to, we, I think our, overall, what we've tried to do is just go a little bit more slowly and actually just, and, and work with the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, because I do think that all audio is going to be split in all kinds of really cool ways Mm -hmm. that don't necessarily mean anything like a remix. It can just be making something immersive, you know, yes. um, or making it that the game that you're playing, that the sound is customized to your gameplay. All these ways that are still experiencing the mix the way the artist intended, but that are, are much more sophisticated and customized, perhaps. Um, so I think, this, I think a lot of this will all happen, but I, I think it's, it's important that artists feel like they're a part of that journey and mm. not just everyone turning around and telling them, hey, this is the future and you just need to accept it. Well, you definitely made an impact in the industry. And I'm sure your investors are extremely happy, extremely happy with you, especially making that list of best inventions 2023. I bet the check is open. It's like, Jessica, whatever you want. I Anything think investors would love us to just have a completely open technology that anyone could sign up for. But our That's investors what they are want? great. Well, no, when we first were fundraising, that was what everyone yeah. was. They were just like, this is crazy. Like, don't, don't handcuff yourself. Um, I see. It was, the general advice was like, don't handcuff yourself and don't do anything that the industry says, which is just, uh -huh. you know, I don't know. I just think it's generally good to be respectful to people. They're more likely to be respectful of you and collaborate with you if you treat them as these, these important things that they have if you acknowledge that they have value, you know, so. Yes. Well, Jessica, you're always constantly innovating. You know, you're always innovating. You're always coming up with new things. Any new features uh, for Audio Shake uh, that you're excited about that you want to share with us coming soon for our listeners so they know at least what's happening, you know, any new features that uh, have in the bag for Audio Shake? Yeah, we're working on a bunch of different things. Um, Generally, we are very, we're very, very focused on the task of sound separation um, uh -huh. and things that can be built on top of sound separation. Um, mm. So a lot of what we do, and the, if you were to look at our roadmap, is around how do you make, um, how can you, you create, how can you use sound separation to power more and more workflows. And so yes. then what are the kinds of separations that might be needed beyond what the separations we do today? Mm. Um, so that, that, I think that's a big focus for us. And also just, we work with a ton of partners, right? We are fundamentally like a B2B audio technology. So we're actually far less interested in dragging people to our website or to our platforms to separate and rather being integrated in their own platforms. So for example, we're integrated on mm. the sync platform Cordal so that music supervisors can get, you know, can get their stems. Uh, we have a couple of other integrations um, coming up with different kinds of uh, content platforms with same things so that we can be in people's workflows. Um, and we just want to be as API, easy do so. You guys have through it's all an API? Through a yeah, it's all through API integrations, yeah. Great. This is great news, actually. 
Wow, very interesting. So it's already in the works, you're saying. It's working, like you already uh, integrated this API in a different oh, other yeah. platforms. Oh, mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Um, the music tech industry is known for its setbacks and challenges. Um, can you share a difficult moment that you faced uh, in your journey or career that you have overcome or overcame it, I should say? Um, different. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like when you're at a startup in particular, you're kind of failing every single day. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't even have to be a startup. <laughs> Whatever. Startup's just like a very small business that, that, probably stupidly took money um, Mm -hmm. when they should have just tried to do it by going to the bank and getting a loan. Um, Mm -hmm. There's my controversial hot take of the day. Uh, But so like, I mean, that's what they are is they're small business ventures. And so, and that's just a really, it doesn't matter whether you're starting a restaurant or starting like a technology startup. That's just a really hard thing to do. Um, And it kind of feels like the whole world is working against you. Like in just like these little ways, it can even just be bureaucracy and government filings and things like that. Uh, It's just hard. So, you know, I think, um, uh, I mean, I guess if a moment of failure, like, yeah, like I said, I feel all the time, like I didn't pass my Google interviews, right? Like I didn't, I didn't, they, 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 I didn't pass, but then the, the woman who was the hiring manager needed me for a specific task. And so hired me as a contractor, but then I, once I was there, then I, you know, eventually wormed my way in. So, um, I don't know. You just have to keep moving. Like, I think that's like the, you just can't let any single thing get you down because there's going to be so much of it in your life, you know? Not to mention you also a full-time mom. That's another job you have, a full-time job. I mean, but that's like a great example where you're constantly failing, right? Like, I I feel like talk to any parent and it's just, it's, it's, it's. Yeah, I mean, you're both you're both trying to teach your kids resilience while you at the same time are trying to be resilient at four forty five yes. in the morning when they wake you up, like mine did this morning. Um, what's a common misconception uh, for people that have about the music and tech industry? Uh, I think again, having spent most of my career in tech, I'd certainly say that one of the big mis well like half misconception mm-hmm. is this idea that the tech that the music industry is impossible to work with um and that you know when people say oh they're luddites and so on and so forth again i think that a lot of times the people making those comments are people who either worked or built companies or invested in companies where the basis of that company started off in a place of tension with the music industry, usually around content and how that content was acquired and how it was used, licensed, mm-hmm. licensed or not mm-hmm. licensed, right? Correct. So I think it's actually a really unfair thing to say in the sense of, again, like you come along and if people feel like you're stealing their content, what kind of relationship are you expecting? <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yes. So I, I think that, um, and then similarly, I'd say the music industry has the, the, the attitude sometimes that tech people don't understand anything about the music industry, that they're just building like shiny things that they themselves think are interesting um, or that they have no respect for copyright. That one always like irritates me a little bit, despite what I just said, you know, 30 seconds mm-hmm. ago, because again, like, I don't know any, first of all, I don't know anyone who goes into music tech who doesn't love music. Right. Like if you want to make a billion dollars, like do not go into music tech, go like start 
I don't know, Uber. I mean, not that that's easy to do, but the point is, is at least then you're battling like a whole bunch of, you're not battling like an an industry, like the music industry. Um, So people who go into music tech love music and they generally have close relationships with artists. So none of these people are sitting there being like, how do I go out and screw artists? But they look at the reality of how difficult it is to license, to get people to talk to you, then to like engage with what, like three major labels and at least 15 large publishers. And then the PRO, like no one has the legal BD ops. And then on top of that, the the capital up front to do that stuff. And so, you know, to, to say that tech people are just, um, completely disrespectful of content, I think is, doesn't acknowledge the reality of how incredibly hard it is to, to engage in early stages in the music industry. So I, I, I think both sides have misconceptions about the other. And I wish that um, the ecosystem was Well, I think now it will. And I think that's actually- and all of this. Well, I mean, there's a lot on the licensing side that still has to be worked out. But I do think it's getting, it it would be unfair to not acknowledge that I think the industry is much much easier for people, say, to license from, you know, today than it was five years ago. So it is getting better, but it's still very Mm -hmm. hard. Uh, collaboration often is a key element in the music world. Uh, could you share, a, uh, I would say, a memorable collaboration story uh, or someone you work with that left an impact on you? I think that one of the things that's been so um, meaningful since doing a startup, yeah. when I was at a big tech company, you kind of run, unless you're probably on the sales side or some sort of customer engagement type role, a lot of your job is almost about not talking to the outside world, right? You are part of a very, very large company. um, And in order to do your job well, it's around interfacing with your internal stakeholders, not the outside world. Um, And what has been really eye-opening and I think meaningful since moving into the startup side is again, how much you interact with people um, and also just how incredibly generous people are with their time. And, you know, from everyone from the major labels and publishers and indie labels that dealt with us in our initial months that took Mm -hmm. meetings that they probably thought weren't going to go anywhere because here was this random company talking to them about AI through to the mixers and audio engineers and artists that we've met along the way where they've had projects that, that really were personally very meaningful for them. Um, people, and, and then just the way they connect us to other people, you know, like our, we've, we've never done any, for example, um, you know, we don't run Google ads. We don't do all the things that, I mean, maybe one day we will do all that, but, but we haven't mm. so far because audio shake has been, pretty much word of mouth. And that to me is like kind of amazing when one publisher who theoretically is in competition with another publisher is telling that publisher, oh no, you need to you call hmm. Jessica or whatever. Like that's organically, that's, um, yeah. Yeah. And I just think wow. that like the 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 collaborate like I've never in my working life until doing Audio Shake had that level of kind of collaboration with people from outside my own company. And people just connecting and helping you because they're, they like you or because they're excited about what you're building. And so I've tried to internalize that on my side too, you know, um, and, and try and be helpful to people that are 
coming to us as well. But it, I think that's just been a real, a really pleasant surprise in the whole. Pretty impressive audio and journey. zero marketing, zero marketing. Hmm. Yeah, well, I don't even know how how people. I mean, we'll post to LinkedIn, so I think that counts as marketing. So you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's zero marketing, um, but but yeah, we don't we haven't done any paid stuff. Wow, and for time to hear about you also, and to uh, consider you to put you on that list, and actually making the list of twenty twenty three best inventions, very amazing, really. So I guess the word to mouth works in your line of, of inventions and technology. It did work. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Um, technology, uh, I would say, has significantly changed the music landscape uh, big time. And technology, obviously, is at the core of your work. What is your take uh, on the impact technology has on the music industry? And how do you see it evolving in the near future? I'm not going to say the far future because it's evolving extremely fast and rapid. I mean, I think there's just a layer of technology, again, no matter what industry we're talking about, that will continue to remove some of the tedium from mm-hmm. people's day-to-day tasks. So one thing that, one product that we have um, that, that is based on sound separation yeah. is lyric, lyric transcription, right? Um, lyric transcription is an incredibly tedious task um, that, for example, if, an, if a label doesn't receive the lyrics from an artist, oftentimes it's an intern or an A&R person that then is having to sit there and transcribe that. And it can take them anywhere from, you know, 10, 15 minutes through to like an hour, depending on the song. Um, So if you can, you know, automate something like that, you know, I don't, you know, people aren't going around freaking out about it the way they might um, say a flying car, rightfully so. I'd be pretty impressed by a flying car. Uh, But like you've actually made a big... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I just think there's a lot of things like that. Like one thing that to me has been just game changing in the past, I don't know, five years is the fact that now you can like whatever it's DocuSign or any of those kinds of things, right? Being able to sign so seamlessly rather than yeah. having to print out PDFs Correct. is such an enormous time saver. So I think there's yeah. all these kinds of like, forget like who cares about like lyric transcription, by the way, is actually like it's it's a hard technical task, but who cares? Like the point is that if you're the end consumer, right? A label or whomever it might be. The fact that that can, that portion can be automated for you so that you can focus on the real art of your job or that your yes. artists can focus on their art. Like that to me seems like a real win. And who, who cares so much how you got from A to B, right? Whether it was like AI that did it versus, you know, some other automated yes. process, you know? And so I think there's a ton of things like that, that the industry could still harness that could just make yes. people's lives easier. And then there's Correct. probably, you know, larger, more transformative things around. Like, I, I, I think, you know, we will see in the near future, um, more and more content that is mm-hmm. getting remixed and reimagined. Um, with artist permission, but more platforms that make it possible for people to play with content, throw themselves into the content, interact with their favorite stars and their and the mm. artists they love, mm. um, and and immerse themselves more deeply in music. I think that that does not feel very far off, um, and all of the technical. Uh, all the technology to do that is is here, um, and I think there's a willingness now, certainly on the artist side, because a lot of these artists grew up with YouTube and TikTok and so forth, and they're much more interested in, uh, say, participatory audio than 
perhaps generations before them. Yes. Um, so I think you have a, a real willingness and curiosity on the artist side. And I think on the label and publisher side too, um, much more openness to these ideas than say five years ago. And the important thing for them is, is it done respectfully? Is it done in a way that is, um, value you know, the art, artists the work. wishes yes. and so forth. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. um, you know, I, I definitely hear far more conversations now, um, at the rights holder level that, that are excited to explore these things versus just mm -hmm. immediately off the bat saying, Oh no, we would never do that. Interesting. Um, you also mentioned, uh, audio recognition that you have on your platform. AI platform. Oh, no, no. We just use a third. Like we use one of the oh. standard industry oh, ones okay. that do that. Okay. Yeah. That's just on that okay. NDE platform. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Um, how do you stay on the latest trends? Innovative. Like how do you stay? How do you keep up with all the What what methods do you use, uh, you know, and all the changes that's happening in the industry? What's your go-to? No, <laughs> I have no good tips for that. Whether I was uh -huh. at Google or now, I just feel like there's this deluge of content. Yes. coming at you and yes i think i see what i see and there's probably plenty much like a ton that i miss but i yes i decided a long time ago that i wasn't going to be stressed out about that stuff um <laughs> also i just think that any company is more has to be more than its founder right like i can't be the expert on everything and i definitely am not right like i'm not an ai researcher um there are people on my team that uh that will always do that much better than I can. There are people on the team who um, are better coders than I am. Like I can code. I know nothing about backend engineering, right? Nothing. It, and those are just like examples, but you could also talk about that in terms of media or terms of trends. So I guess my point is that you, I think a key in running a successful organization or company is how do you harness the wisdom and experience and yeah. different communities that you're, employees are in so that there's a little bit more of a brain trust around what's happening in the world and how it might affect you and what the possible opportunities are. Like you can't just sit on one person because if you're spending all your time looking at the news or I don't know, competitors or whatever it might be, um, yeah. you're just not getting anything done. No. <laughs> and I'm much more no. focused on like building than I am on those Great. other things. Good attitude. Uh, can I ask how big is the team of uh, Audio Shake? Yeah, we're 12 people. Nice. But getting the job done, that's for sure. 12 people getting <laughs> yeah. the job done. Absolutely. Uh, any words of wisdom of people going to watch the show and get inspired by your story and uh, your invention and what have you done so far? And obviously, people going to come across, uh, you know, uh, a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of people gatekeeping in the uh, music and the tech industry. So what's the, um, how should I say, uh, advice, how to navigate and what to not to look at, what to look for, you know, with some, you know, some of the people who, the upcoming new innovators and new owners, new CEOs, new startups. I do think it depends a lot on what stage of your life you're in. Yeah. You know, I always was really interested in, say working yes. at a startup or starting my own thing, but I yes. never in say my twenties would I have felt um, comfortable to do that. Like I was always very, very worried about the bottom falling out. Like I took the safest career option possible. It was like nothing inspiring, right? Of like everything I did was kind of by the book and the rules of like how that you should go to college and then you should do this and you should do that. But I didn't feel 
I didn't, I didn't feel like that there was a safe option to do those things. And so it wasn't until I had been at Google and then became very senior at Google that I actually felt like I could walk away from that and take a risk. So I do think that like a lot of times career advice is offered without that larger perspective of like, what is your circumstance and how much risk can you tolerate? And, and so I, I think that's probably one of the most important parts. The second one is I think there are a lot of, there's a lot of sensible advice that says, you know, you should not do what you love. In fact, actually what you should do is figure out where the biggest, like you should approach this in a very cold uh, calculated way of evaluating the business opportunity and seeing what the thing is. And that's very sensible advice. Um, and it's certainly if, again, if I were, if, if monetary outcome was my biggest goal, yeah, it would never have done like a music tech startup, right? Because it just seems to like, you're generally far more likely to fail than succeed, particularly Mm -hmm. in music tech. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but because I did this later, not so early in my career, um, I felt more comfortable taking a risk. And it also started off again, like just as something we were super interested in. We didn't do this exercise of, you know, how much could this be worth and this, like not at all, you know, it was, it, and I think that's that, that the, the opposite to the, the, the advice of don't do what you love, do what will make money. The opposite side to that is maybe do what you love because so much of this is going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so much of this is going to be so hard that if you're not super like passionate about, I don't know, building like a calendar productivity tool, yes. like what are you going to get up for on that day when you, you know, come in and like, I don't know, something's frozen your payroll or that, you know, some country, you know, some countries just told you you can't operate for some regulatory reason. Like, I, I think it's really important to be super excited personally about what you're building because it will help you get through all the challenges that come from being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's me, I guess, not actually giving very clear advice at all. <laughs> well, it is an advice, actually. I mean, those valuable insight, and I'm sure our uh, insights and our listeners will definitely find them incredibly helpful. Uh, before we wrap it up, uh, anything you want to talk about? I mean, I know you talked about everything and what's coming up, but anything that you want to say, hey, this is coming up soon, look for it at Audio Shake and this and that. Please plug it in, promote, whatever. Uh, well, you can find us at Audio Shake, uh, at audioshake.ai. Um, and, uh, and if you want to try it out, and if, you have, uh, if you're an indie artist, you can uh, try it out at Audio Shake Indie, which is indie.audioshake.ai. Um, but yeah, we're always excited to hear from people that want to do fun things, um, from managers wanting to do kind of fun fan engagement things through to labels and publishers that want to open up their catalog for new opportunities. This is great. Definitely enjoyable interview and great having you on the show. Um, thanks for joining us today. Uh, this concludes today's episode of Soundbreaker. Please make sure to follow on social media and stay tuned to our next episode. Thank you. Good. This podcast is presented by Music Dash, world's first AI-powered independent distribution CMS. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share the Soundbreaker podcast. And if you are joining us on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time.